Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. All right, let's, let's dive back in. Uh, I, I think I said a couple weeks ago that I was actually going to land the plane and end the series uh, with Christian last week, but I lied. I had one more psalm. I forgot. Um, Another one of my favorite psalms, right? Another one of my favorite psalms that I definitely want to squeeze into this series. This is the last week that we'll be in summer in the psalms. Um, and this one, this one really is good. This one, this one might, might take the charts here. But today, um, we're going to be looking at Psalm 139. And before we dive into that together, into God's word, would you go to the throne in prayer with me? Father, We just thank you again um, that you're king, that you reign supreme, that there is none like you, that you are God of the universe, creator of heaven and earth, and yet you are so intimate and involved in every detail of our life. Lord, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Who could know the heart of a man, but you, Lord, know every thought and your thoughts are towards us. And so, God, we just come and we revel in your glory. God, we exalt you. We adore you. You are so lovely. And so in this place, Holy Spirit, open up our hearts. Speak through the power of your word. Transform us today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I almost jumped into a Sunday school prayer there, Tara. I was like, <laughs> open my heart, speak to me today. Tara and I, we, we teach uh, kids at Sunday school every day of the week. And we have these prayers that we pray every day. And I, I felt myself kind of going there, there for a minute. So I was like, don't do it. Don't do it. So anyways, you didn't know the inside joke, but now you're in on it. So let's dive into Psalm 139 together. Uh, what I'm going to put on the screen is going to be the NIV, but I am going to dance back and forth because uh, the Bible I'm holding is ESV because I like some of the wording that it gives as well. So what you'll see up top will be NIV. Um, and I had mentioned a couple of months ago, I remember talking to my dad, And this was kind of a couple of verses that were really becoming a prayer that come out of this chapter, um, that were becoming a prayer for, uh, as my dad was sharing it, and it just really took root in my own heart. And I I really identified with what he was saying because of just what was happening uh, globally in our nation was, was this. This was the prayer that we decided we were praying in this season. It was, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. How many of you know that we all have blind spots, right? We all have blind spots. You can see mine better than I can see them. And others can see yours better than you can see your own, right? We all have blind spots. This is why I think that, that in this season, it's so important that we continue to pray this prayer, Lord, Search me and know my heart. Show me if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in your way that is everlasting. Lead me in a way that is full of your life because we all have those blind spots, Um, whether it's to, to, you know, to hold on to something too dearly that really he wants us to release, whether it's an ideology and a thought pattern, whether it's, you know, uh, just a, a cultural norm that we've accepted, whether it's what's happening right now and our response to it, Lord, search my heart, search my heart. There's one of my favorite podcasts that I love to listen to. How many of y'all are podcasters? Anybody? You're going to like this one, Mary. It's not Brooklyn Tab, but it's still good. All right. Patrick Lincioni, uh, he's a kind of a organizational health guru, walks with teams, writes a lot of leadership books. And I just love listening to his stuff. And uh, they, they do them weekly and they, they literally record them like the day before it's going to be released because they want it to be very current. And so I just love listening to At the Table. And some of the stuff he talks about, where was I going with this? Oh, yeah. Some of the stuff that he talks about is how that we can respond right now in a way that is relevant has a lot to do with our motive. And so we, he just released a book. It was already written uh, pre-COVID, pre-any of this happening. But he talks about is he meets with a lot of CEOs or pastors and organizational leaders. He says a lot of them can give you the answer of their why. But how many of you know years into your why, sometimes the motives begin to shift a little bit. 
why you began on a journey and why it initially started, why I you know, lead a, an urban youth ministry or why I'm in ministry now or why we chose to foster and have adopted, why we do certain things can sometimes get tweaked by circumstances in life that just happens. And we have to revisit that to make sure that our motive is pure. And in the motive, it would be a great book. If you love listening to podcasts, pick up Patrick Lencioni at the table. Great stuff. But, but this is the, these two verses that my dad and I decided that we're just going to focus on. I want to encourage you to also pray them through the end of this year. Through the end of this year with us, Lord, search me and know me, O oh God. And show me if there is any offensive way, lead me instead into your way that is everlasting. Jesus said this. He said, I am the way the truth, and the life, right? He marked the, the work of the enemy with these things. He says, he's come to what? Kill, steal, and destroy. He said, but Christ came to give us that life and that life that is full, that is abundant, that is eternal, that is everlasting. And sometimes it seems like that way that is offense, offensive can kind of work two ways, right? There's, there's those that seek to offend. There's those that are always looking to be offended. And sometimes we're in both lanes at the same time, right? Especially right now in our culture. And so I just say that will keep us from the way that is full of Christ's life. His everlasting life for us is asking that we would lay down that offensive way and that we would pick up and walk in a way that is his, that is everlasting. And so my question to myself and to all of us is, are we seeking to walk in his way everlasting today, full of grace and truth? Are we seeking or are we seeking to abuse grace and truth by joining the work of the one that steals, kills, and destroy those around us, walking in an offensive manner, offensive to both God and man? So join me in praying those, those verses uh, throughout the year. But I'm going to start and I'm going to read the whole chapter that was uh, kind of just a sidebar of some things that have meant a lot to me out of this particular psalm. But I'm going to read from verse 1 all the way through the end. So just bear with me. And then we're going to come back and we're going to look at it section by section. And I believe the Lord's got something to say to us. So as we dive in, let's look at Psalm 139. The heading says that it's a psalm of David. And he says in verse 1, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit... And when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is even on my tongue, you, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand, a better translation, you lay your right hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Because where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand, your right hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as a light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, may you bless the reading of your word today. 
So I want to ask you a few questions as we look at this chapter. What does it mean to you to be fully known? What does it even make you feel where I just say, hey, hey, I, I want to know all your thoughts, your deepest desires, your struggles and victories. What, what does that emote in you? What, what, how does that make you feel? I think for most of us, it makes us feel one of two ways, right? Some of us were like, oh gosh, I hope they don't find out about that. Uh, the, you know, the things in our lives that we're kind of psychologically looking over our shoulder about that maybe we're ashamed of, or, you know, there's things that we don't want people to know about us that we don't want to disclose. There's things that we still maybe sometimes keep in secret, but the psalmist here is saying, Lord, you've searched me and you know me. You know everything about me in this first section. He talks about that. But for you and for me, what, what does it mean to be fully known? Is it comforting? Think about that. Does it bring reassurance that someone values you, someone loves you, someone cares for you, someone you can trust? Or is it unsettling, uncomfortable, too vulnerable? Does it bring up issues of mistrust? Maybe expose areas rather than the ones you want to keep hidden. You know, for some of us, maybe it's a dance between the shame that is, is, is too shameful from our past, or maybe hurts that are too deep that haven't been fully healed, or maybe it's comforting, or maybe it's a little bit of both. But what does it mean to you to be fully known? And I think here, David's words maybe even are experienced differently for believers and unbelievers, or maybe even if we think about God knowing everything about us, if we think about the Lord who created us for a plan and a purpose, that he knows the beginning from the end. And maybe those past experiences or those current circumstances or that future reassurance strikes differently for those that are part of the family of God than those that are not. And so think about that because what David is writing here is going to include some promises that for you as a child of God may be different for someone who's not. That the assurance that the Lord gives his kids is different than those who have yet to come into his fold and be a part of his family to receive his, to receive his forgiveness and his grace and his mercy. So what is it like for you as the saved? Do we walk in that fullness or maybe we're in the process of still being transformed and letting that gospel, that sanctification, that assurance work into different areas of our heart and our life? For me, it's that kind of that tension, that both and, that yes, 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 and then there are the areas that I'm like, oh, but I need to still, I surrender this again. Like today during worship even, Lord, I give these fears. I give these uncertainties. I give these, maybe these habits. Lord, back to you again. I'm gonna read something that a pastor in New York, his name's Peter Scazzaro. He writes a book called Emotional Healthy Spirituality. It's a great book. He says that in order to know God, we must first know ourselves. There's this idea of self-realization. How many of you know it's hard to receive forgiveness until you realize that you need it? It's hard to say, God, your grace and your mercy are great and your love is unconditional until you recognize just how unlovable some areas of our lives are. And it doesn't minimize his love. No, instead it magnifies it. So when we walk in a, as this pastor would say, a self-realization, it allows us to actually grow in our understanding and appreciation of who God is. They shouldn't work uh, in opposition to one another, but they should work together that we would grow and develop and appreciate him more. He says, in order to know God, we must first know ourselves. And here's a couple of quotes from, from his book that I just love. Ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality. And this is coming from a pastor who, uh, he's Italian. He was just told to kind of, kind of bear through his, you know, the way he feels and just get jobs done. And, and he grew up in New York. I mean, just he's, he's through and through what he considered a, a tough Christian even, right? Is, is the way he was raised. That's the way he approached his relationship with God. He said, but listening to our emotions ushers us into a reality, a reality where we can meet God. He said, emotions are the language of the soul. They are the cry that gives the heart a voice. And he adds to that in saying this, when we deny our pain, our losses and feelings year after year, we even become less and less human. We slowly 
transform into empty shells with smiley faces painted on them. Sad to say, that is much of the fruit of our discipleship in our churches. He says, but when I began to allow myself to feel a wider range of emotions, including sadness, depression, fear, and anger, a revolution in my spirituality was unleashed. He says, I soon realized that a failure to appreciate the biblical place of feelings within our larger Christian lives has actually done extensive damage, keeping free people in Christ in slavery. I can, can, I can relate to a lot of what he says in this book, and it really helps me because for years, I, I was told to be aggressive with my thoughts and my emotions, to make them captive to the Lord. And what I didn't realize is that he had created a lot of these emotions. I just needed to channel them through what he wanted me to feel, through what he wanted me to think. It wasn't about doing away with emotions, right? I think sometimes we think the way that I'm going to walk in Christ's victory is to just be numb, right? That's how I'm going to walk in Christ. I'm not going to see anything. I'm not going to feel anything. I'm just going to, I'm going to robot in his love. And I think in, in our faith and in, in the adolescence of our faith, God wants us to fully experience the wide range that he's created us to be. And to understand that he has made those emotions. Those aren't evil in and of themselves. Don't let the sun go down on your what? Your anger. He doesn't say, don't be angry at all. Don't ever. But no, understand that there are these things that are still Jesus flipping over some tables. I think was probably out of a little bit of anger at the evil things that had been taking place in his father's house. And so Jesus, you shouldn't have emotions. Come on, don't be like. No, instead, understand the redemptive quality to how God has created us. I think about Levi, and, and he won't understand what I'm saying now, but my wife and I, we talk all the time about how just how amazing he is and a blessing to our lives. There's things about his personality I'm always trying to figure out. I'm like, is that just Levi? Is that drug exposure? Is that, what about his parents? There's so many things that I think about how amazing his parents would be in their best selves. In the, in, and I, I am praying that his parents still find redemption, but I'm also praying that we see the redemption of his parents through Levi's life. Levi is intentionally named, his middle name is Redding, and we intentionally named him Redding because it means God has redeemed, God has restored. And there's so many qualities that I see in him that I'm like, man, I bet his parents were so cool when, when, when God was, you know, still rocking and rolling enough, before maybe they fell off into some addiction and things like that. And that's what I'm praying for each and every one of us is that we're able to fully express who we are, who he's created us to be in a redemptive manner, not stifling, not putting away, not saying, God, you know everything, but yet you don't want to see these things. No, you know it all. And you have a plan and a purpose because you created me this way. This is who you are. And many of us, we want to know God, but we don't want to be known by him. We don't want him to see all the recesses of our lives. There's some areas that we still want to hide. Let's just be honest, me too. There's some areas that are hard for me to think about God knowing this about me, where I struggle with these thoughts or this fear. And I want to know God, but I have to allow him to fully know me as well. He already knows, but what about the disclosure of my own heart? I had a professor in Bible college. And he called this approach to wanting to know God, but not exposing ourselves, spiritual pornography, where we want him to reveal himself, but we don't want to reveal ourselves. And it's very true that there's an idea that, man, God, come and, and, and make yourself known, but we don't want to come and make ourselves known. We don't want to walk in a reciprocal relationship with him. And he is bent on that. That is what he wants. He wants our heart. And so we do this by first realizing that we know ourselves and we come to him as we are. And knowing and growing in love with God is realizing who and how he has created us. And this is something that, that really just struck me this week, that accepting his love includes accepting ourselves as his beloved. Just as you are, in order to accept his love, accept it as, guess what, he calls you today, you are his beloved. In the midst of your lowest point, you are my daughter, you are my son, you are my beloved. And accepting that, 
I think is so overwhelming to us that it should be reassuring. It shouldn't be frightening, but it should be confidence building. And you know, the last couple of weeks, we've talked a lot about the uh, great commandments we talked about in our neighboring series, uh, what it meant to love God and to love our neighbor. And I wanna read these verses again in light of what the psalmist is saying. He's, Jesus replied, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. He said, and all the law and the prophets hang on these two. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. And I, <clears throat> now I remember a couple of weeks ago talking about loving your, your neighbor as yourself. Really, I, I thought even a better translation was love your neighbor as they would like to be loved. Because I think a lot of times how I want to be loved isn't the way that my wife would receive love. It's maybe not her love language, so to speak. And, and what your neighbor, what's valuable to them and what would communicate love may be different. And so really in 2020, I think it would be so much better because how many of you know, we, we have to say everything in 2020, just so there's like all clarity, right? We have to say everything. Don't, don't make any assumptions. I'm not talking about a self-absorbed love when I talk about loving yourself. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. This isn't a, I'm first, and now I'm gonna make you kind of first, but I'm still first because I love myself a lot. No, it isn't that kind of love. That's not what Jesus is talking about. I think we understand that, but just in case, it's not a self-absorbed in love with yourself selfishness, but we love God and we love our neighbor as God has loved us and has allowed us to receive and experience that love because he has made us aware of just how much we needed it and just how much we didn't deserve it. This is how we're able to love, not loving our neighbor because now they've earned it or they've done something that we can reciprocate and give back to them, but we love because he first loved us. In a book that I use um, for some of my marriage counseling by Timothy Keller, this is another pastor out of New York, Mary. I don't know what's going on today. I'm quoting a bunch of pastors from New York. Maybe, maybe uh, Brooklyn Tab will make it next week. But The Meaning of Marriage is the title of the book. If, has anybody ever read it before? The Meaning of Marriage is pretty thick. Uh, it's, kinda, it's kind of a heady book. It's deep. Um, I remember going through it with Christian and Desley and their marriage counseling, our, our youth pastor. Um, but something he says really stood out to me in light of what we're talking about in these verses from the psalmist. Listen to this. He says, to be loved but not known is comforting, but superficial. Let me say that again. To be loved, but not known, it's comforting, but it's superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved, well, that's a lot like being loved by God, he says. It is what we need more than anything it, liber it liberates us from pretense. It humbles us out of our self-righteousness and it fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. Think about the love of God that is for you, that there is no greater force on heaven or earth than the love of God. What is it that Paul writes in Romans 8 there at the end? Nothing can separate us from what? The love of God, not death, not life, not heaven or hell, no angel or demon. He, he tries to paint the greatest chasms he can in contrast to one another. And the greatest force of all of them is the love of God, the love of God. And the love of God is, is that I know you fully and I still love you fully. That should bring reassurance that we are accepted by him, that we are his beloved. And so looking at this first section, he says, oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you know when I go to Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts instead. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and you're acquainted with all my ways. And even before a word is on my tongue, behold, oh Lord, you know it altogether. You hid me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high cannot attain to it. So this first section, David's expressing gratitude for God's knowledge and discernment of us. He is expressing gratitude that the Lord knows us fully, that he knows it all. He says it again, you have searched me and you know me, you know when, and he uses that Hebrew word, yada, over and over and over 
with the word know. He uses it in different forms with knowledge and you knew me. And before all this, he says, you searched out, you know when, you discern such knowledge, that word yada, still a part of that word, that the Lord knows us, that his love for us is relational, that it is intentional, that it is focused on you. He says, you know when, you perceive, you discern, you're familiar, you know completely, you hem me, you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge, such yada is too wonderful for me. And David is moving towards a section at the end of this psalm where he will ask God as judge to pardon him. He establishes though his case for forgiveness at the beginning of the psalm based upon a relationship and knowledge. Think about that. David operating in a BC, in a before Christ knowledge, he perceives that his ability to be forgiven upon a relationship of, with God, upon a relationship with God. Not much different than the free gift that we accept to walk and follow the one who's created us, to walk in relationship with him. His forgiveness is that free gift. And God, you know me. This is, this is the preamble to, God, will you then also, because you know me, will you provide forgiveness for me? How much greater has Christ enlightened us to realize the free gift he has given us is because he wants to know us because he wants to have a relationship with us, because he is bent on knowing everything about you and you knowing everything about him. Forgiveness is not a transaction so you can just slide into heaven so that you don't have to go to a place that is absent of his presence, hell. It is forgiveness exists so that you and I can have a relationship with God Almighty so that we can boldly approach his throne of grace because of Christ's blood, the author of Hebrews would tell us. That's the reason forgiveness exists. It's not so that we can be once saved, always saved. It isn't so we can pray a prayer and go do what we want to. It isn't because, man, we need to feel better about ourselves today. No, it is because I want to be fully known and I want to know him fully. It is so that I can have relationship with God, creator of heaven and earth. That is powerful. But the accused, <clears throat> excuse me, is not afraid of his judge. The divine judge is more than just an arbiter because he is also the one in whom the psalmist has found protection. Listen to what he says in verses four and five. This is really, really good. Let's see if I even have it. Uh, I don't. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it. He says, you hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. The God who knows all is our protector. He hedges in his own, his children, for the purpose of protection. The thought receives even greater amplification as he says, you have laid your hand upon me. The placement of the divine hand signifies his protection and blessing. Think about that today. He knows everything about you and he has chosen. He has said, you will walk in my protection and my favor. You will be blessed. You will be the head and not the tail. You may not see it in your every circumstance, but continue to prophesy his promise is what he says to us. And I love that Paul would say that his promises are what? They are yes and amen because of Christ. So think about that. Think about the redemption as we were talking about earlier. I was, I was thinking about this during worship as they were singing the song. Re the fall did one thing to the promises in our life, right? We were separated because of sin. We couldn't walk in his fullness. We needed restoration and, and right relationship in order to experience the fullness of God's promises in our life, right? And we think of what Christ has done. What Christ has done is taken the, the fall even in ourselves couldn't restore, he has now said, no, 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 no. God's promises, they are going to be yes. You're going to feel his hand again on your life. You are going to walk in his blessings and in his protection. He knows everything about us and we're allowing ourselves to be fully known. And when we are enveloped in that, he is before us and he's behind us. He is surrounding us. It doesn't matter if there's a plague that breaks out. It doesn't matter if there's a crisis in our political system. It doesn't matter what happens around us because we are fully known by the creator of heaven and earth. We live as aliens in this world of a kingdom, not of this earth. 
His hand of blessing is upon you, son and daughter of the Most High. And it is echoed because of what Christ has done. Throughout the ages, there is this echo since Christ rose from the dead and ascended that the promises echo throughout the ages of look, the promises have been restored. Look at my children of how they walk in my protection and my blessing. Look at what has been restored from the beginning that was lost because of what Christ has done. They are yes and they are amen. Amen? Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done for us. And so for those of us in the family of God, followers of Christ, dear brothers and sisters, beloved of God, he knows us. And that's assuring, not frightening. That's assuring. And he is with us. His favor and grace, his protection and blessing. And so in this second section, which is verses seven through 12, he says, we saw God's knowledge and discernment in the first section, but now the second section is talking about how he perceives us. He, he has insight into us. He says, where, where can I go from his spirit? Where can I go from his presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I even go to the depths, you're there. If I take the wings of the dawn, right? You're there. Even in the sea, you are th there's nowhere I can go. It went from this God having all knowledge to God being everywhere. There is this, he's, he's just laying out theology here of, of what God is capable of and what he knows and where he is. And the psalmist is surrounded by this vast thought that the Lord cannot, I'm sorry, that we cannot hide from his presence, that God's presence is everywhere, that he perceives all things in all places, that as people, as humans, as his creation, we cannot hide from the all-seeing eye of God, whether in the highest heavens or those deepest recesses the psalmist isn't trying to evade God when he says that. He is simply saying, it is too lofty for me to grasp. This knowledge, this discernment, he says, he's like, I surely, even the darkness, look, covers me. But the light, you make darkness even day to you, God. For darkness is as light with you. The psalmist can't even put in terms what God's relationship to time and space is really like. There was a song that I loved uh, when I was in college. It was, I think it was a vineyard song that talked about, I can, you know, I can basically, if I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I, if I dwell in the depths, you are there. And it was just one of my favorite songs, um, just talking about how the Lord is always with us. That regardless of what valley you're walking through right now, he just wants to remind you that he's there with you that even though you walk through a valley that looks like it's, it's overshadowed with death, that he is with you. Even in your relationships that you're believing God to restore, maybe someone in your family that is just going through a difficult time and you're, you're praying, you're interceding for them. He's saying, I'm with you. I am, I am with you. And on their behalf, I'm fighting those battles for you. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's future plans. Maybe it's Maybe it's just the fear and maybe there's just some depression. Maybe it's an overwhelming sense of all these things at once. And the Lord is saying, regardless of where you go in your thoughts, in your heart, in your emotions, he is there. He is there. He has not abandoned us. He will never leave us and he will never forsake us. And, and that's what the psalmist is highlighting here with these magnitudes of, of, of paradigms. He uses words like spirit and presence, speaking of the Lord being everywhere at all times, in all places. And I love this. David portrays Yahweh in direct contrast to the pagan deities. The pagan deities were always thought to be confined to a location. Their authority was central. They, they had a pole on a certain hill and this is where that pagan deity had a territory. But the, the psalmist is saying, no, our God, the true God, Yahweh, he is nothing like the gods of this age, the gods of this world, the ones that we can erect and bow down to. He is everywhere all the time. He is all powerful. He cannot be mocked. He will not share his glory with another. He says, the Lord's authority extends to the heavens as well as the depths, the wings of the dawn as well as the seas. The farthest reaches, even the darkness, he makes light. And we're reassured that God's guiding hand 
remains with his children, that even in all of these places, he'll do what? He'll guide and he'll protect. He will guide and he will protect. The Lord will guide, meaning he says that he will guide us in all these things. He says that even there in verse 10, your hand shall lead me. Your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall uphold me. Verse 10, your hand shall lead me. There's still his guidance and there's still his protection. That word for guidance means he will literally turn our eyes towards and direct our movements. Think about that. How many times have you just, Lord, would you just, would you just show me what we're supposed to do right now? Show us what, what our family, what kind of decision we need to make. Lord, would you guide us? And it doesn't matter how stark the situation, how great or how terrible it is, right here we have the reassurance that he will guide us through all of it. This is, I don't want to get into, I'm reading a book right now about the tribulation (laughs) and my views on it, but regardless of what we walk through, the Lord will guide us. It doesn't matter if you're pre-trib or post-trib, we believe that the Lord will guide us through all the difficulties of life. It doesn't matter if you're here through some of life's worst situations. If a plague breaks out again, fear does not have to beset in our hearts. Fear does not have to grip us because he guides us and he will protect us. He is our yes. He is our amen. His promises are sure. And he says that this is the good shepherd, right? This is the one who will hold us fast. The Lord will hold me fast, meaning God will grasp and take hold of us in a manner to support and protect Think about the, the words here that the psalmist use literally are, are words that you would use for building a foundation, like to a wall or to an arch. You think about how that foundation is literally what is going to hold everything else together in that structure. And the Lord is saying, I will protect. I, what I am in your life is what's gonna hold everything else together. When you feel like it's falling apart, know that I'm your foundation. Know that, I, that my promises, they're true, they're sure. When this seems to be not going the way that you thought, hold on to who I say I am in your life. Know me and allow me to know you. And the Lord, his hand will protect us as his children, wherever we may go. And to this last set of verses in verses 14 that I really want to look at this morning. He says, I praise you. And we've heard these maybe many times for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. These might be some of the most poetic, most beautiful words in all of scripture that the Lord would say, you have formed my my inward parts, that you knit me together in my mother's womb. Allow me to pull these up again. See if I can find these verses real quick. Listen to this with me. The psalmist says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Think about that. The Lord was already involved in who we were becoming, even at conception in our mother's womb. That there was plans that we were thought of even before we were there, other scriptures would tell us. He says, I praise you. The only right response to the Lord's involvement, not only his protection and discernment that he knows us, is that we praise him. And that's what the David is doing here. He says, because of all this, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made and your works are wonderful. He says, I may not be able to know everything you know, but I know that very well, that your works are wonderful, that my frame literally was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. My frame, literally my bone, my bone that was formed as you created me, as you, as it said, knit me together. It was not hidden from you, even in that secret place where I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body all the days ordained for me. They were written in your book before one of them came to be. God's plan was for us to fulfill the purpose for which we were created. We were created for that purpose before we ever entered this earth, before our mom even knew that we were there. 
the Lord knew and had plans and a purpose. That's how intimately he knows us. And it was fearfully and wonderfully. And so now the lies of the enemy, the sin of this world, it keeps us from wanting to recognize just how fearfully and wonderfully he's created us. How many things shroud that knowledge? How many things try to dim our self-perspective that we, in trying to love God, really struggle with loving ourselves? really struggle with accepting who he's created us to be because we know our faults. We know the things that have yet to be redeemed. We know the things that aren't yet perfect. We have these things that we still want to hide, but he's saying in here in the Psalm, God knows it all. And he has knit you with purpose and with plans. And it doesn't matter what kind of deformity you think you have psychological or in the way that you relate or in your habit or whatever it may be, the Lord is saying, no, come because you are fearfully and wonderfully made. From within your mother's womb, I had these plans for you to be fulfilling what my purpose was for you. And it was to be a part of his, the, the book of life. Here, I believe David is writing about something he doesn't even have knowledge, full knowledge of, that there was an eternity set that we would spend in relationship with God and that he would literally write, he would inscribe our names upon a book because of what Christ would do. And here he talks about how all the days of of our life, they were written in your book, that you knew them from beginning to end. What, What Ephesians 2 talks about, that the works that he has prepared for us, he prepared in advance for us to do. This is how far in advance, this is how far in advance he prepared all that. This is knowledge too great for me. That's what David would say. And so as we travel through all these expressions of David poetically depicting the loving care of our creator, we are reassured that he is with us, that he is for us, that he has great plans, that he will never leave us nor forsake us. The confidence in the Lord's ability to know us and perceive us, to know our needs, to know our desires, it comes from a belief in God's purpose is what what David says here that he is the creator and his creative concerns include us as individuals. This isn't, David's not writing for the nation of Israel. He's writing that you know us individually from our mother's womb. This isn't that, oh, God has a great plan for his people, for his church, for the promises of of his covenant with Israel and his people today. It's, It's not that broad. It is specific. And the psalmist wants to make sure that that we get that from these words, that it is for you. It is for me. It is individualized and it is tailored. And David reminds us of that divine involvement with the emphatic use of you. You know, you created, you saw. And so again, the natural and only right response is that praise. Praise is the proper response to God's grace of discernment, perception, and purpose. Praise God, you are worthy. There is none like you. You know all, you are everywhere, and yet you are intimately acquainted with me. Your plans are specific for me. God, how could I understand your vastness? We praise him. Bruce, would you come up? In my final thoughts, I wanna look at a few more verses as he's coming up. In verse 14, the child of God sees God's presence everywhere and experiences the joy of God's watchful eye over him. And he says, all God's works are wonderful. But the believer, more than any other part of of God's creation, we can sense that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Though God's grace towards him is like knowledge too wonderful for him to comprehend, He lives with this personal awareness of God's gracious purpose. He says, I know that full well. I want you to know his purpose. He has planned, he has purpose. He has created in this hour that you would be doing something specific that it was preordained, whether it is in the rearing of your children or it's in using your voice to a generation that is lost and looking for hope. He says, you have purpose. I have created you from within your mother's womb that you would fulfill these works. 
the psalmist reveals this unique awareness of God's grace towards us. And the response is a hymn of thanksgiving. We praise you. And even when unborn, when he was made in the secret place, his frame, literally the bone was being formed in the womb. He says, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, the Lord had purpose for an undeveloped embryo. Literally my body that was being formed, my unformed body had yet to even be formed. He says that idea of purpose comes to full expression more fully as the Lord continues to weave the fabric of who we are. And as we grow in our knowledge of him and he fully knowing us. He says in verse 17, how precious are your thoughts to me? How precious to me are your thoughts, O God? How vast is the sum of them? Have you ever had someone call you or send you a card or shoot you a text and it was, it was just what you needed in that moment? Someone was thinking of you? Or have you ever gotten that sensation? Maybe I'm the only weird, weird one that's felt this way. Like someone will like shoot you a text or say something to you and you really need it in that moment. And it almost gives you that tingly feeling up your back and the hairs kind of stand on your arm. Am I the only one that ever feels that way sometimes when it was just very, really timely? Because it's so comforting to know that someone is thinking of us and is, and is with us. We're not alone. That's how much we need to be connected. And God is saying here that my thoughts are for you. I am always thinking about you. I'm not only singing over you with gladness and dancing over you with joy, but I am thinking precious thoughts. How precious to me are your thoughts? So literally David is saying, not only are, are God's thoughts precious, but he's saying they are precious to me. That word literally means they are valuable. They are valuable. We hold on to something that is that is worth something that you can take to the bank, that we can deposit this within our souls and our spirit. How valuable to know that his thoughts are for us. How vast, if we were to add them up, it would be. Were I to count them, they're gonna outnumber the grains of the sand. What's that remind you of? The Abrahamic covenant. I will make your descendants as vast. I will create a people and God will say, each one of these people will have a covenant of their own. And that's my thoughts to them. My thoughts will be just as numerous as the descendants that I will have, but that's to each individual, to each and every one of us, that when we awake, he says, I'm still with you. The Lord is with us. His thoughts are for us. It's too numerous, too exalted for us to ever be able to tally them all up for us to ever, ever be able to understand how much he is thinking about us and for us. That we don't have to get lost in the things of this world and the thoughts that come and bombard us, that we can build a fortress of protection of knowing that his hand is for us, that he has hemmed us in, that God is fighting our battles. That no matter what you're walking through right now, that there is a shadow greater than the one of this world or the one of the enemy. And that is the one in whom we take refuge. It is the shadow of his wings. Amen. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, I believe there are folks in this place just like myself that needed to be reassured as this psalmist says, the Lord, you know us and you want to know us. Lord, would you help us to disclose all those areas that sometimes we are ashamed or afraid or whatever it may be, Lord, that we allow these thoughts and the work of the enemy and, and the flesh to keep us from walking and being fully known and thus fully knowing you, Jesus. Would you help us to just give all of ourselves to say, I surrender again afresh every avenue of my heart. And Lord, we thank you that we can do this because we see your hand of protection. We see your hand of promise. We see that you are for us, that your thoughts, that the purpose for which we have, it was before anyone else knew, you knew. And if you're in this place and you say, Michael, I need, I need prayer this week. There are some things that I'm walking through and it's not in God's assurance. I need to hang on to his promises, but I'm struggling right now. I'm struggling personally. I'm struggling for someone else, whatever it may be. Would you just raise your hand? I wanna pray with you. Yes. Anyone else? Yes, yes, yes. Amen. Yes. 
Thank you, Jesus. Lord, that we would walk in your fullness, that we would be fully disclosed to you, God, that what we are struggling with, you know, you know each and every person in this place and those that are watching online, Lord. Father, I just ask Holy Spirit that you would come and you would strengthen hearts that what we think we keep going around a mountain and experiencing, Lord, that we would not lose hope, that we would believe that you can still restore and redeem the call that you have on our life that we know is there. The future that we're not sure about or the circumstances that we don't know if it'll ever change. But today, God, we declare your promises again that we will not waver. We will not allow the enemy's lies or our flesh to speak to us and say anything less that they are yes and amen in Jesus. God, I pray for those that are trusting for future uh, decisions that they have to make, Lord, that you would give clarity, that you would, uh, that you would guide through your peace, that there would be doors that no man could close that will stay open and there will be doors that no man can open that you will keep closed, Lord. They will have discernment as they walk in stride with you, Lord. Those that are believing right now for the health of themselves or a family member, God, we just believe that your healing, it was purchased for us, that by your stripes, we are healed. Lord, we just believe that for ourselves and for our community, for our families, God. We just plead your blood. We thank you that we walk in faith and assurance that that is still your promise for us. God, those that are needing to lay down burdens emotionally that have been in roller coasters, God, we can say, God, Lord, you bring steadiness. You speak and a storm becomes calm. Lord, we're asking that you would speak in our innermost heart, in our soul, in our spirit right now, in our emotions, Lord, that you would speak peace, peace, peace. We thank you that it's peace that you give us, peace that you leave with us. Lord, I pray that your face would continue to shine upon us, that we would be blessed in our coming and in our going. I pray that upon everyone here and those watching, Lord, it's in your name. Amen and amen.